welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. A very warm welcome to season two of Intuitive Insights podcast. For the first episode of this season, I'm absolutely overjoyed to welcome Alex Hines, Managing Director of Scotland's Railway, who will share his career story and his thoughts on the future in his own inimitable style. I hope you enjoy. Alex Hines, Managing Director of Scotland's Railway, what an absolute pleasure it is to welcome you to Intuitive Insights. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. You're very welcome. I wanted to share with you, um, when I was thinking about our conversation today, I was thinking back to when I very first met you. And this is going back, I think it's eight years. And you were a speaker at the DFT. So it's one mm. of it was Pete Wilkinson's um, passenger services Um, gig at the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre and you were one of the speakers and I was quite new to the railway yeah and I can still remember very very clearly the description that you gave about what bidding for a franchise was like and you talked about looking through a letterbox and buying a house yeah. So you yeah. weren't able to go in and look at the size of the rooms or, you know, how modern the kitchen was and whether it was yeah. an avocado bathroom suite from the 1970s. You had to peek yeah. through the letterbox. And I thought, what a brilliant description. And it really helped me get my head around um, what it was like to be bidding. So that's that's my very first memory. We've had loads of interesting conversations since then. And I am really looking forward to, um, to talking to you today for the podcast we're going to start in time-honored fashion with your career to date so I'm really interested to know Alex where where did it start why did you choose the career that you've chosen and could you take us through please from from those very early days when you started work up until Mm. the role that you're doing today in Scotland yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, so, I mean, the first thing is when I was a kid, I wanted to be an airline pilot. Uh, and I'm glad I'm not because I would have made a rubbish airline pilot. Um, and of course, working in this industry, sometimes people think you're into trains and I was never into trains. Clearly, I am now. Um, so, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I was a plane spotter, not a train spotter. So that's a bit strange, isn't it? Um and uh, I did an economics degree at Leeds University and Leeds University is one of the best places in the world to study transport studies and we did a bit of transport economics and uh, at the time 95 to 98 the railways were being privatised and I decided to do my dissertation on the privatisation of the UK passenger railway and um I wasn't very successful uh, trying to be a pilot or indeed getting any milk round job. And I saw this job for a transport consultancy called Halcro. And I thought, hmm, that's a bit, uh, it's not a blue chip company, might not be there next year. Uh, I'll apply to that, uh, have a year off and just go and have another think really. And uh, I got the job and they said, you need to start next month. And that was that. So um, I moved to London, uh, which was great um, at the age of 21. And I spent five brilliant years with a transport uh, consultancy called Halcro Fox doing sort of transport planning and economics. And it was a great introduction uh, to uh, the transport industry. But at that time, most of our clients were railway clients. They'd won these franchises. They'd looked through the letterbox. uh, They'd put their bids in. Uh, they sort of walked across the door on the day they got the keys and they were thinking, ah, this is a bit different from what we'd anticipated because uh, generally the bids were based on reducing costs, but revenue being fairly flat. But actually what happened was uh, revenue boomed. It was very difficult to uh, take costs out in the rail industry. And so they had to sort of re-engineer their business plans and we helped them do it. So my biggest client at the time was the Go Ahead Group, and I really enjoyed working with them. 
because uh, they were good fun and nice people. Mm. Um, but in consultancy, I, you know, I just had a first degree and I was surrounded by people with masters and PhDs and I felt a bit uh, inadequate. And I, at that time, felt that I wanted to pursue a technical career path. And one of my uh, former colleagues from consultancy ended up working for the Office of Rail uh, Rail Regulations. It was at the time, of course, it's now the Office of Rail and Road. And he said, we're recruiting for economists at ORR. You know, what, what, what do you think? So I went for the job. Um, and... And um, oh, the money moves around the industry, how the regulation network rail works, um, and um, yeah, it was it was good. But I think it was probably whilst I was at ORR, I realised I was much better at general management than I was at economics. Uh, I'm a rubbish economist, <laughs> um, and I ended up in the policy unit of uh, ORR, which was great because it got me great exposure to you know chairmans and chief executives and whatnot it was really good fun and then one day go ahead rang me up and they said oh you know all that work you used to do for us when you're in consultancy well we're setting up an in-house bid team do you want to come and join and I said yeah great so I did uh, and we worked on the go ahead bid team um, and we bid for three franchises and we won two um, and I remember Keith Lubin, who's the group chief executive of the Go Ahead group at the time, who's a remarkable man, saying, you know, uh, only win a few franchises and I'll make sure I look after you. And by the way, you need to get into the line. Uh, it's in the line where we make our reputations. It's where we make our money. It's where the action happens. And um, yeah, we won the West Midlands franchise, which we branded London Midland. And I was made the commercial director at the age of 30. Um, so I went from having no staff to 800 overnight, which was a bit terrifying. <laughs> um, and uh, I can still vividly recollect the sort of uh, worry in the pit of my stomach some mornings uh, on the way into to work. Uh, but it was brilliant because I had the job of implementing the bid I'd written. Mm. Um, and you're thinking, who wrote this rubbish? Oh, yeah, it was me. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was just great to you know do the uniforms the branding the stationary refurbishments the new train introduction um the new timetables all those sorts of things and then i was there 2007 to 2011 and in there of course in 2008 was a global financial crisis mm. literally our income sort of collapsed overnight and we had to do all sorts of things that weren't in the bid um, and it was it was really, really good fun. Um, and actually, the MD was a guy called Mike Hodson. He, he taught me a lot about leadership. And then one year he was on holiday uh, and he announced his retirement. And I uh, was a bit uh, annoyed because I thought I'd love to go for MD, but I'm too I'm too young. Uh, and I did go for MD and I didn't get it. But I got a job back at Go Ahead HQ. Uh, running their rail development side, all the franchise bidding, etc., which is the mm. job I was doing and you uh, when we met each other. Yeah. Um, and then Northern needed a managing director uh, back in 2013, and uh, Dominic Booth of Bellio said, "Do you fancy uh, applying for this job?" And I said, "Yes," and I applied and went through the process. And I remember pitching for it. Um, and I remember saying that Northern had very poor customer perceptions and we were going to turn it round. Mm. And then I got the job. And by the time I'd arrived at Northern, it got worse. <laughs> uh, and we were the worst train operating company in Britain. We were literally at the bottom of the National Rail Passenger Survey League table. Uh, it was the first time I had been a managing director. I was 36. Uh, I think it helped the fact I was from the north of England, so I'd sort of returned to uh, the north of England, having lived and worked in London for 15 years. And it was just a brilliant time because when you've got a burning platform, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, we had a problem, which is our customers hated us. Uh, and so the first thing I did was make sure that I walked in the customer's shoes. So the HQ was in York. Uh, I quickly realised that quite a lot of people who uh, 
worked at the HQ in York actually didn't use Northern. So they weren't seeing it on a daily basis. So I lived in Leeds and commuted every day on Northern to York. And we, um, you know, did all the things you do when you need to do a business turnaround. You know, you say what you're trying to achieve, what your targets, you get some good people, uh, you move some people on, uh, you motivate uh, the workforce, you uh, talk to your stakeholders. And we turned it around. And in two and a half years, we delivered our best ever customer sat, our best ever stakeholder satisfaction and our best ever uh, people engagement because they're all related to each other okay. so it was a business it was a business on the on the rise uh but of course this blessed franchise process got in the way uh and abelio bid for the franchise didn't win arriva did uh arriva decided to keep me on uh it was clearly a very very challenging business plan uh, particularly the requirement to introduce driver only operation which was always going to be very interesting uh, and it was when uh, Mark Kahn was the chief executive of Network Rail and Dominic Booth was still running Abellio. And both of them were sort of slightly tapping me on the shoulder saying, we could do with someone like you in Scotland. What do you think? And I, I really didn't respond in Northern. It's my little baby. I'm from the north of England and I've got this business plan. Mm. But really, um, I needed to come to Scotland for, for two reasons. One is to run a country's railway rather than run a region's railway and also to get experience of running the infrastructure as well as the train operation because of course here in Scotland we run track and train together so Scotland Network Rail Scotland have, has a single MD and that's me. Mm. So you know I moved here four and a bit years ago and you know the first two years were very 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 tough indeed. Uh, I think I had more sleepless nights in those first, you know, eight months than I'd had in the previous eight years. Mm. And um, but again, we turned it around, uh, and you know, now the trains run on time and everyone's a lot happier. Um, and obviously, we've had some highs and we've had some extreme lows as well. Um, but it's a job I love, um, and hopefully, I'll do, be doing it for some while yet. Thank you for that. I um I love hearing people's career stories, but I, what I also really enjoy is how your how your kind of your your facial expression, your tone of voice, it gives loads away. And to actually kind of bring that to a summary and say I love what I do, that that just it that just bounces off you. It's kind of every conversation I think we've ever had. There's a there's a passion in you for 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 making change happen and seeing what needs to be done. And I think that you are one of the people that I know who who is very, very good at simplifying stuff and saying, yeah. right, okay, so so where are we now? Where do we want to be? How are we going to get there? Um, and I love that about you. I think that kind of, you know, that very straightforward, very simple approach really works because it's very engaging. It gets other people bought into the plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, it is a complex industry and we use very complex language, but actually the people doing the real work, uh, drivers, signalers, the people who are our customers, they don't understand any of this language. So you've got to use language that makes sense to them because it helps you understand what it's like to be a member of frontline staff. What's it like to be a customer? And of course, it's the interaction between the customer and the frontline staff where the magic happens, isn't it? That's the point. That's the point you're trying to influence. Yeah. So, you know, whether you're trying to, you know, getting someone to turn up on time, be nice to people, uh, signal trains in the right order, um, you know, they need to know what good looks like. They need to feel supported. They need to feel well led and managed. Mm. Uh, and so you've got to use a language that makes sense to them, not some corporate mumbo jumbo. Mm. One of the things that you said during that um, through, through that trot through your career was that that Dominic uh, Dominic Booth and, and um, Mark Khan at the time at Network Rail said that they needed someone like you to go up to Scotland. I'm interested to know what someone like you is. What did they <laughs> see? So I've kind of just shared with you one of the things that, that I enjoy about, about your personality. What do you think they saw, Alex? Um, 
so I I talk for a living. Um, you know, whether I'm talking to staff or customers or shareholders or uh, people at group or the government or politicians or the first minister or suppliers, you know, I talk for a living. And a big part of the job at a very senior level is actually stakeholder management. Mm. And I think one of the things that I would say I'm good at, he said modestly, was um, I create high-performing teams um, and I am good at managing stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are my two two strengths. So Northern was in trouble. I went to Northern. Scott Rail was in a bit of bother. I came to Scott Rail. So um, I quite, you know, I I I enjoy improving things. Um, I'm not a steady state person. I get bored in steady state. And when I get bored, I get disruptive. And that's not a good Alex Hines. <laughs> so one of the one of the other things you said, I'm, I'm kind of maybe going to go out a little bit out of order with my um, with my normal questioning routine here. But one of the other things that you said was when you went to Northern, you had this burning platform. It says it's really, really bad. And actually, since I accepted the job, it's got even worse. So I'm arriving to a situation where there really is a, you know, a, a, it, we need to act quickly to sort this out. And as an industry, we've we've kind of had 18 months of burning platforms, haven't we, of, of, of needing to be in that crisis management mode and saying how we're going to sort things out. So what what do you think as an industry what have you seen in the last 18 months that that's kind of what mm. we've done well in terms of that and 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 how have you responded to that so i think there's there's two big things that i think uh are the key learning so prior to covid when we didn't even know covid was coming um you know i'd had a conversation with uh, a chap called max who coaches me about uh, Hurricane Katrina and uh, what Walmart did. It was a nice little leadership and management case study. So Hurricane Katrina was heading towards the coast of America and allegedly the head of Walmart got all the store managers on the phone and he said, Hurricane Katrina is coming. This is going to be very difficult. You know, I want you to do three things. I want you to look after yourself. I want to look after your loved ones. And I want you to do the right thing. And then he put the phone down. Oh, my. Give me goosebumps. So, so there was no manual for COVID, was there? No. The way everyone responded was absolutely extraordinary. Mm. Because actually... Most railway people don't need to be told what to do. Instinctively, they know what the right thing to do is, which is to run a safe and reliable railway for passengers and freight. That is exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. So actually demonstrated that, um, you know, the pride, the passion, the commitment to service is, you know, really strong. I, I, I was amazed by... Um, how easy we made it look and it was not easy we made it look easy but it wasn't um so i think i think one lesson for me is it we should probably trust our people more mm. to do a good job um when you know managers and leaders are working from their kitchen tables and stuff you know mm. um so but it was just a reminder that you know railway people are extraordinary um and if you can tap into the pride and passion and commitment to public service that railway people have then you know the world's your oyster um i think the other thing that it taught us was you know no one wants to go back to the pre-pandemic railway you know it was crowded uh, it was unreliable in parts you know never waste a good crisis don't don't put back what was there before put mm. back which is better so, you know, across GB, uh, the revenue line was 10 billion. Uh, it's now five. Oops. Uh, we've got five billion pound a year problem. So in that environment, you wouldn't carry on with your existing spending plans, would you? Uh, you'd look at uh, your costs. And for me, 
you know, I remember there's a there's a public body up here called the Scottish Council for Development and Investment, something like that, SCDI. And they they I I saw them use Build Back Better and I thought, oh, brilliant, I'm gonna steal that. Yeah. So I started talking about Build Back Better. And then of course Boris started talking about Build Back Better and Biden started about Build Back Better. <laughs> we're we're actually doing it. Yeah. So um, you know, one of the things we've learned is just by taking a few trains out of the timetable, you can see an extraordinary rise in punctuality. When the trains run on time, everyone's happy. Mm. So don't go back to the pre-pandemic timetable. And currently we're consulting on our timetable for May next year, which actually I'm quite excited about. Um, it sees us operating a few more trains than we are today, but not what we were doing before, because what we were doing before made no sense. We were carrying too much fresh air around, mm. punctuality, suffering and we can put something better back in place um so you know uh, for example um you know we've been having a conversation for a number of years with transport scotland around m tickets and transport scotland was saying well you said you were going to do a smart card so do a smart card first then you can do m tickets um and um you know, we, we, we were making representations that this was potentially old technology. You know, so we launched M tickets in July and now 11% of all spell transactions are on M tickets. So, you know, the things that people would previously not have agreed to uh, for whatever reason, inertia or, you know, there was a plan. Yeah. Uh, actually, now is an opportunity to do things differently. You know, it's a bit like hybrid working, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, if if businesses haven't already briefed out a hybrid working policy, it's like why yeah. why would why would everyone go back to the office this week nine till five? I mean, it's it's nuts. It's really interesting. I was thinking, talking to somebody yesterday about this. Um, I, I we went into we were in Manchester on Monday for our team meeting, um, and I was surprised at how busy the train was and how busy the city was. And I know a number of people had said to me that once the September, once we got back into September and schools went back, that th this was almost going to feel like it was New Year. It was like that we were starting again. Mm. Um, and I definitely saw that on Monday, chatting with someone yesterday. He was in Manchester. He said it, it, it's really busy. I'm surprised how busy it is. So it did make me start to wonder well, I was there Monday, which which might be a, a work from home day if we look at kind of the three day week. Um, so I, I it did start to make me wonder, are people pinging back to what they did before or will we see a peak because people are starved of this kind of being in an office with other people? So I want to go and do that. But then actually I'll go back to hybrid working again mm. so i've got my boost of energy from my work colleague mm. yeah i mean certainly i i a few weeks ago i was starting to feel a bit down and i was sort of trying to analyze you know why do i feel so fed up the whole time and it was because i was on microsoft teams all day monday to friday it was rubbish mm. um so you know now i've started hybrid working now and i love it because i get the best of both worlds you know my work-life balance pre-pandemic was rubbish. Mm. Uh, there's no way I'm going to go back uh, to that because I don't think it was good for my health. But I also don't think it made me a great leader either. Right. Um, so, you know, having a few days in the office and a few days at home is certainly how I'm going to live my life. Yeah. I remember kind of last year, probably around about May, June time, having conversations with um, with colleagues in the industry and talking about how it could how it could change what it could look like in the future and there was an expression I think it was Jack Starr was the first person actually at, at Rail Delivery Group who said to me that her wish was that that as an industry that we would be bold and we would be brave in terms of what the change and transformation looked mm -hmm. like so in relation to that, and we are, so we're, we're in season two of Intuitive Insights and I have made the decision to keep the three wishes in, Alex. So when we're looking at the opportunities for the future in terms of the whole railway industry in the UK, if you could have three, three wishes 
for what we would do differently? What would they be? So, I mean, yeah, it's a tough question. So uh, I think we should have a rolling programme of electrification. That strikes me as a good idea yeah. uh, because we need to go net zero because uh, we have a climate change crisis across the globe, uh, which will dwarf COVID in magnitude. Uh, and, you know, we saw this summer the, you know, the impact it um, reached across Germany, you know, a rich country with, good infrastructure and hundreds of people died mm. so I think you know rolling program electrification net zero I also think that we've worked out how to decarbonize the motor car haven't we you buy an electric one no one's worked out how to decarbonize an HGV mm. so I think rail freight is going to be a much much bigger part of the story and because passenger numbers are so far down and because we're expecting them to be a long way down for a number of years, actually, we need to sort of reorientate our business slightly to be maybe a little bit less passenger and a bit more freight. Because mm. um, that way we, we stay relevant, don't we? Because as an industry, we consume vast sums of, of public money. Uh, and, um, you know, we can't always guarantee that's going to be here. We've got to remain relevant to mm. UK PLC. Scotland PLC haven't we mm. so I think there's something around um, freight there's something around um, decarbonisation but there's also um, you know we've got the best opportunity we're ever going to have to get the trains to run on time don't miss it mm. don't miss it um, you know running a railway where the trains don't run on time is miserable um and no one's happy the customers aren't happy uh the staff aren't happy the stakeholders aren't happy no one's happy mm. um you know start with a blank sheet of paper and make sure that whatever timetable we're operating we're doing it reliably mm. and then everyone's happy um and um yeah so i think re relentless focus on boringly reliable railway <laughs> The de decarbonisation, because we have to, uh, because, you know, look at what climate change is doing to society and indeed our railway here in the UK. Mm. And, uh, you know, maybe a bit less passenger and a bit more freight. Yeah, yeah. All three very, very relevant. And of course, you've got in, in Scotland, you've got the, um, the, the climate change What's it, COP26? I think I always, I remember the COP bit, but not the number. So I think it's 26. Yeah. That's coming up in November, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. Well, um, yeah, a career-threatening moment for me uh, <laughs> because uh, the whole bloody world's coming to Glasgow. We've got Absolutely. the Queen, the, the, the Pope, uh, Biden, Boris. Seriously? Is coming the Pope's coming. Seriously. Really? So um, I don't know why that surprises me more than the Queen or Biden, but it but it does. So, so. so they've extended it actually. It now starts on the 31st of October. So as you might imagine, I was spending an enormous amount of time making sure we're ready for COP26, but also so we can provide that boringly reliable train service. Because if we provide that boringly reliable train service, we can then talk about our green credentials. Yeah. Um, and so it's a massive opportunity for us to say, do you know what? You're in Glasgow. 75% of passenger journeys in Scotland are already made on electrified lines. 45% of the freight in Scotland is already electrified. Mm. And we're going to decarbonise Scotland's railway by 2035. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting times. But no one will care what we say if the trains don't run on time. No. Um, so, you know, we will have over 200 staff at key points on the network with uh, vehicles and kit bags full of spare parts. And, you know, we are going to uh, copy a lot of what happened in London during the Olympics, actually. I was just going to say that to you. It feels like the sense is that it's it's an event which actually, whilst it might not be going on as long, and it may not involve quite so many people. It is akin to the Olympic Games, isn't it? 
um, and, what, and what Birmingham's co- going to cope with next year with the Commonwealth Games, that kind of whole, how do we organise ourselves to make sure that we use this as an opportunity to really showcase what we can do as an industry? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Glasgow held the Commonwealth Games yeah. uh, in 2014, I think it was, and did a really good job of it. Um, I guess <laughs> here, here's a different dynamic. This is happening in November. Mm. <laughs> um, we know what happens in the autumn to punctuality, don't we? Mm. Uh, and actually, uh, we've done an enormous amount of work on punctuality during autumn in the last few years with, with great results, actually. Um, but um, yeah, autumn starts earlier in Scotland uh, for viewers who don't uh, don't Scotland. Um, so you know, one of the things that we one of the changes we've made in the last few years is actually the autumn treatment all starts earlier in Scotland than it does in England because right. it was actually starting too late for Scotland. Um, so it was a good example of devolution in action, actually. Yeah. A which wasn't right. So we've got our biggest ever autumn plan. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll still be here in the middle of November and not being fired. <laughs> I've got every confidence, 100% confidence. Um, one of the, I'm going to kind of skip back a little bit into kind of coming back to, to your career. And um, I'm really interested to know when you reflect back on your career to date, so bearing in mind COP26 could well be a pivotal moment um, but for kind of, you know, um, moving you on to even bigger and better things in the future. When you look back over your career to date, Alex, can you identify some pivotal moments, some kind of key points where you think almost, I don't know, I'm putting, trying, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like sliding door moments where you made a decision or somebody supported you or didn't support you? Or I, when you look back, are there moments that stand out as being significant? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think the point at which I stopped trying to be the person I thought I wanted to be, you know, pursuing a technical career path, being an economist, doing a master's, which I never did, and actually embracing what you're good at uh, or better at, which for me is general management. Um, That's a a moment. You know, don't cling on to something you think you should be, you know. Uh, And you, you said earlier on about how, you know, I clearly enjoy my job. And, you know, life's too short to go to a job you don't enjoy. Um, and so for me, enjoying the job I do is absolutely uh, really important. Getting up in the morning is hard enough, isn't it, without having to mope your way into the office. Mm. Um, I think the go-ahead years were pivotal for me um, because they were a great organisation, nice people. And I learned a lot from Keith Lubman, who was the group chief executive of the go-ahead group. I never worked for him directly. Um, but he watched what he did, uh, and he was a very clever man. And he just hired great people and let them get on with it. Right. Um, and he also, you know, gave that advice to me, you know, getting to line management. Mm. And I remember saying to my line manager at the time, Tom Smith, uh, who was also a go-ahead group, lovely guy, he ended up chairing Angel Trains and the nuclear decommissioning agency I think um, and um, I remember saying to him oh if we win the West Midlands franchise can I be the commercial director and I could sort of see this look of horror across his face because uh, he promised it to someone else right uh, and then I was on holiday in Paris and he rang me up and he said are you sitting there and I said yeah he said do you want the commercial director job at West Midlands and I said yeah great because uh, the candidate pulled out so um I think there's something there about loyalty and trust. Mm. And, you know, if you do a good job for people, you know, generally I think you'll get rewarded at some point, even if you don't get rewarded immediately. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, 
yeah we're you know working with nice people is something i've something i've held on to um so yeah i mean they were all sort of as you know positive things but mm. uh you know more recently uh we had the awful 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 accident at stonehaven mm. uh, on the 12th of august last year and uh oh, i hope that's the worst thing i ever have to deal with mm. um my railway career and uh i still talk about it a lot now because we owe it to the memories of brett donald and christopher uh, the driver the conductor and the passenger mm. to change the way we run the railway because we need to because the climate is changing so um yeah some some big moments in there good and bad mm. and all all learning aren't they there is this this expression that i come back to time and time again um where you win some and you learn some and and that for me is kind of it's it's one of my you know when when something doesn't happen as you want it to happen um and then it's right okay well what what can i learn from that or some you know it's i think that's important and i what you've said to me in terms of stop trying to be the person i was trying to be so you know kind of of I appreciate that round pegs go in round holes there's a there's there's a kind of there's a maturity to that isn't there I think you have got to reach a certain stage in your career before you're able to say actually I am who I am and mm. I've got lots of strengths they might not be the strengths of the other people that are sat around the table I can distinctly yeah. remember being in my career um with the Royal Bank sitting around a table in a boardroom with some very important people um, being, you know, being the only woman in the room, the youngest person in the room, and um, and and one of out of uh, I think twelve people, one of two who who wasn't Scottish, so I wasn't ticking many boxes really in terms of what was acceptable at that particular point in time. And I remember sitting there thinking, I can't do this. I don't speak like they speak. I don't use the language that they they use. You know, they talk about strategy and bloody straw men and all this stuff, and it's like. I have no idea what you're talking about. And that for, that was one of my pivotal moments where it's kind of, okay, mm. what, what language do I know? What language do I understand? Mm. And what value can I bring? So for me, that kind of, that, that acknowledgement is really key. But I wonder whether it, you, have to, you have to do a certain amount of your career before you reach the point of understanding who you are. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and also you, you're learning about you as a, a human being as well, don't you? Uh, you know what motivates you, what you like, what you don't like, and you know what makes you happy and what makes yeah. you sad. But you know, I recently did a leadership uh, course uh, at, uh, through Win Windsor Leadership Trust, which is superb, and uh, it's quite intimate. You learn a lot about yourself. It's very open and honest and candid. And one of the facilitators in our group had this lovely little phrase, which was um, know yourself, be yourself and look after yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I think we're just we are in a in an environment now and in a society now where this is much more acceptable. You know, we've got we've got the well-being um webinar, haven't we, coming up later this month that Network Rail are leading on again. Um that you know I've only been in the rail industry for nine mm. years but but to say that there is a whole day a whole conference dedicated to well-being that you know four years five years ago certainly at nine years ago you would have said you what <laughs> who's mm -hmm. who's doing that and who's actually going to listen to it so that mm. kind of look after yourself thing is is certainly becoming much more of a part of society maybe covid's brought that accelerated that faster mm. Um, but certainly as an industry, mm. I think we're, we're getting better mm. at that, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, well, it was suppressed, wasn't it? It was suppressed, it was hidden, it was shameful, it was not talked about, it was stigmatised, and mm. now we're talking about it. And, mm. you know, that openness and honesty is really important, isn't it? Because yeah. we can only tackle problems and issues if we talk about them. Mm. So you've said, um, and I'm, I'm very conscious of time, because as you know, and I've done this frequently, I could talk to you for ages. You've talked to me a little bit about Keith Ludeman and what you learned from him. You mentioned Mike Hodgson as well. And you said that's where mm. that your, um, your kind of ideas of leadership were formed. 
what was it about Mike that stood out? What did you learn from him? Well, the first thing is he believed in leadership. Uh, you know, he had an MBA from Manchester. He'd studied leadership and he talked about leadership and he also invested in his directors and senior managers in, in leadership. You know, he put his money where his mouth was, but he also role modelled it as well. Um, so, you know, his his exec teams were always very distinct. You know, we'd have an agenda and some papers and it was pretty well organised. And uh, we'd talk about, you know, what do we want to do with um, the driver pay deal or modifying some rolling stock or doing up a station or something. And uh, we'd have a conversation as a team about um, what we wanted to do. And he always spoke last, always spoke last, okay. uh, which was really powerful uh, because, A, you find out what your team really think rather than them all falling immediately behind you. But also the importance of team decisions, okay? So, you know, I was a director at 30, I was an MD at 36, yeah? I was working with people who'd forgotten more about railways than I knew. Yeah. And so one of the ways we um, ran these companies, and I, you know, I do it today, is we do it as a team. It's not the Alex Hines show. Mm -hmm. I, might be, I might be the public face, but it's not the Alex Hines show. We do it as a team because actually if we leverage all the skills, knowledge, experience of the team, uh, we'll make better decisions. You know, everyone's bought into them. So it's real, you know, cabinet responsibility. I mean, people say that, of course, looking and think, well, I'm not sure the cabinet works like that. But anyway, we'll leave <laughs> it. Um, so, um, so, yeah, team, leadership, role modelling, um, you know, really important. So, you know, you know, I'm, I'm still learning and growing and developing as a leader. And I look at leaders all the time and I think that's really good. I'll copy that. That's really bad. I'll try not to copy that. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be, I think, committed to your own self-improvement. Mm. Not me. Yeah, absolutely. It's We're always learning. So that, that kind of leads me into the first of my um, my quick fire questions. Um. Could you tell me one leader, either a thought leader or a business leader, who is inspiring you currently? So I'm going to say the answer, and half the people on this watching this podcast are going to groan. Um, but I'm actually going to say Greta. Okay, interesting. Because I think climate change is quite terrifying. And I don't think people have realised how terrifying it is. You're right. It is happening at a rate which is worse than our worst case scenario. Mm. It's literally, the curve is exponential. It's like one of those COVID curves. Mm. And I think until recently, climate change was something that was happening in the future to people in a faraway land. Yeah. And it's not. It's happening to us and it's happening now. Mm. Um, and I think people need to listen more to um, what she says. Um, and, it, you know, I don't agree with it all. And it's, you know, sometimes it's not nice having a mirror held up to you, is it? Um, but uh, we're killing the planet. Yeah. I think this is such a, a key area and I completely agree with you. I think that the majority of us, definitely myself included, this was something that, that wasn't something that my daughter needed to think about or my granddaughter was going to be affected by or even my great-grandchildren might be affected by. It was way, way in the future. And if I stop using plastic bags, then I'm doing my bit. But actually, no. We can see just it, just in what we've experienced over the last few months in terms of the, the extremes of weather that we're having. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sat here today in my little box in the back garden. It's 28 degrees outside, 8th of September. 
we, we weren't expecting it. And apparently it's going to pour with rain all weekend. Um, and these extremes um, are increasing. So even if we don't think about anything else in terms of air quality, etc., just the stuff we can see every day uh, in terms of what the weather's doing is given as a really good illustration of what 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 was happening and how quickly it's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're expecting it to be the hottest uh, September day in Glasgow on record today. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, every every day weather records are being broken, aren't they? Left, right and centre, hottest, coldest, windiest, wettest. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, yeah, and, it, you know, if I post about it on Twitter, I still get people going, oh, my God, I can't believe the managing director of Scotland's Railway is peddling this fiction. Mm. You know, climate change isn't really happening, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it is. Yeah. Yeah. But And I was going to say something really controversial then, so I won't. Um, I'll move on to... That's which, normally my job. Which, <laughs> which business is inspiring you at the moment, Alex? Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't want to single out any one company. I mean, obviously, what Scott Rail and Network Rail Scotland is doing is fabulous, obviously. Absolutely. Um, but I, I'm a big believer in business in the community. Mm. So I, I think business can be a force for good. Um, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Uh, and I'm actually on the board for Business in the Community Scotland. So any business who's prepared to sign up to those values and behaviors are really important in my mind so for example when i arrived in scotland scott rail wasn't a living wage sorry i'll start again when i arrived in scotland scott rail was a living wage employer mm. but network rail wasn't okay. and i couldn't understand why is network rail not a living wage employer and the cleaners at glasgow central or the people on reception in the network rail offices weren't earning a living wage and you chat to them and find out they've got two or three jobs. Yeah. And that didn't sit well with me at all. Uh, and now Network Rail, all the people I get to uh, call colleagues are paid a minimum of their own wage. And I think, uh, I think business needs to up its game in this area. Mm. Business has got a terrible reputation. Mm. And so you need to um, be committed to responsible business if you're going to help change the world for good, which yeah. I think is what we're all here to do. Absolutely. And there's something in there for me as well in relation to that, um, the sense of, of collaboration and the sense of we are all in this together. Because if business is working better with the community, there's a whole impact on people there. There's an impact on um, on em employer value proposition, if you like, because if if that organisation has been involved with the community, the young people in the community will will kind of know who they are and see them in a positive light and will want to work for mm. them. For example, you know, there's there's lots of dependencies in these relationships, isn't there? I, I went yeah. past um, I was in Bolton yesterday and I went past one of the playing fields um, that's part of Bolton Lads and Girls Club which is a fantastic facility uh, for young people that's been there for many, many years. It's part of the, the on-site youth zones um, uh, suite of youth zones. I came past this playing field and it's actually called AO Playing Fields. Mm. And then I realised, so AO, local company, massively successful company, um, but they, they are supporting... The, um, the young people in the area by providing, honestly, these look like Premier League football training camps. These, mm. these pitches look amazing. And you think that it's that kind of um, support that the organisations can give to communities mm. um, that's, that kind of reinforces that we're all in this together. Yeah, and COVID has demonstrated that, mm. you know, we're a fragile ecosystem, aren't we? We are. Yeah. Um, and actually, there are lots of parallels between COVID and climate change. So we're all in this together. It's a global phenomenon. We, the solution will only be found together. Um, and it requires behavioural change. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very conscious of time. Um, so 
one last question and you can I'm giving you an either or here or you can give me both is there a book that we should all read or would you like to share a motivational quote that inspires you yeah I guess well I've done a quote already haven't I with the uh, that know yourself be yourself yeah. look at yourself yeah. I think that's quite a good one absolutely um I think there's a book which I like, and I wish it had a more positive title, but it doesn't. And it's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Right. And it's a brilliant book. Um, and one of the reasons why it's a brilliant book is it's short. <laughs> uh, so you actually get to the end of it. Yeah. And it, it's about team behaviour. And it's about the five things which make teams unsuccessful. So you just turn them upside down and it's a book about the five things that make teams successful and um i lend it to all my team and say you should read this book um because um i think it really helps people build strong teams and for me that's what it's all about it's not Mm. about individuals success is how you get people to work together Mm. uh and so you know if you're a manager or a leader or uh, want to be a manager or leader um you know it's a good nice little book to read the five dysfunctions of the team you know I, I wish it was called something else but it's not but it's not you've just given me a fantastic quote which is success is about how you get people to work together I love that and completely agree 100% Alex Hines managing director of Scotland's Railway it's been an absolute pleasure as I knew it would be Thank you for um, for joining me on the podcast and for being our first guest of season two. When I kicked this off, I was going to do five and see how we went. But we're now into season two, which is amazing. And I know that there are lots of people in the audience who are really looking forward to listening to this episode because you are the guest. So really appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much. And, um, and hopefully we'll see you at the National Rail Awards next week. You will. Thank you. I've enjoyed it a lot. It was great. Thank you. Thanks ever so much, Alex. Thank you. My huge thanks to Alex Hines, Managing Director of Scotland Railway, for sharing so openly his thoughts in relation to the UK transport sector and also his experiences and career to date. I loved every minute.